everyone, and welcome to Writers Drinking Coffee. This is a podcast of a bunch of writers who sit around, drink, and talk about writing, publishing, and the whole creative process. We do not censor ourselves, so consider us PG-13. Today's hosts are Chaz and Karen Brenchley, John Schmidt, and me, Jeannie Warner. This is episode 86, Charles Strauss, Harbinger of Our Times. Welcome, Charlie. Hi, I'm pleased to be here. I, I am so delighted, even though I have given you so much heck on Twitter for predicting everything that's happened with all of our countries for the past four years. So I wish I hadn't. And indeed, part of it is the publishing pipeline is years deep. Um, I have been fleeing, screaming in other directions and attempting to do something that isn't predictive. Um, on my copious to-do list is finish the third book in a new trilogy, which is if I mention Regency Romance with Lovecraftian overtones. Oh, yeah. yeah. I I will Um, have it on pre-order as quickly as it shows up. (laughs) Basically, the prisoner meets um, Regency setting. And that queued up is a book I was working on in in 2016, 2017, when my father died, which sort of put me off it for a few years, which is a space opera. And the official remit was, I'm going to set a space opera two-thirds of a million years in the future. Try and fuck that one up, Mr. Trump. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, be careful. Well, I I feel like there's been pieces of it that you'd predicted, and part of this so that everybody who has not yet read Charles Strauss, and you simply must, go read the Laundry File books. Yes, absolutely. Because the Laundry, for everybody that's ever been IT, and if you hate procedure paperwork and interdimensional beings, you, you will definitely adore the Laundry Files books. Yes. Thanks. I do have to issue a caveat with that, which is around 2015, 2016, with the Brexit referendum in the UK and Trump being elected, I realised they had previously been sort of spy fillers with some social satire of a civil service because spy agencies are fundamentally civil service bureaucracies. I couldn't do that anymore, so I had to level up the politics to make it fit. Enter the Black Pharaoh, Prime Minister Nialat Hotep, the crawling <laughs> chaos in number 10 Downing Street. And look what we've got. <laughs> um, and it just got so bad that in 2019, I realized I couldn't do that anymore. So the main laundry series, it still has about a book and a half to go. Um, and I will get to it eventually, I promise. But for now, I'm sort of diverging. In 2019, I realized I just couldn't handle the political satire side of things anymore. So I put the main Laundry Files stories on hold with about one and a half books to go and diverted onto a spin-off series of which the first book is Dead Lies Dreaming. And there are no spies in Dead Lies Dreaming at all. Rather, it's about um, superpowered criminals dealing with the consequences of living under a despotism ruled by the crawling chaos. And I've just handed in the second book in that series as well, which is In His House, although I don't have a publication date for it yet. Um, if, yeah, if you enjoyed Dead Lies Dreaming, which was essentially um, Peter Pan versus Lovecraftian horror, <laughs> um, the new one is sort of Mary Poppins versus Sweeney Todd in a supermarket deli counter. Well, now that's does Mary Poppins then show up to fix Sweeney Todd's sad, messed up life? Or oh, No, Mary Poppins is a uh, amoral, sociopathic, magically enhanced uh, kidnapper and criminal. Oh, if you read yeah. Mary Poppins was a bit grim if you read the books. Yes, yes. yes. Well, yeah, it, you know, even in the movies, there's 
there's you know you know there's something off she's not just cheerful and nice and stuff you you know that there's and the books you're right it, it, it just gets creepy oh absolutely and as for peter pan you know there's a thing out of nightmare Ooh, uh, yeah. the, the original book peter and wendy based in turn on the stage play it was jm barry trying to figure out how to explain to toddlers that their brother or sister isn't coming home from a hospital because infant mortality in those days was about 20 percent before age five and the odds are every family had a baby gravestone somewhere in its history, recent history. So um, the original Peter Pan is a creepy sociopathic kid who refuses to grow up, is so detached from everyone around him inclu- and reality included that his own shadow has come adrift. And he kidnaps children and murders them when they won't serve his purposes anymore because they begin to grow up. Or they get, yeah, I was going to say, or they get too old. So it's kind of like the opposite of Logan's Run, really, or maybe pieces um, of Logan's Run. Yeah. yeah. He's basically the John Wayne Gacy of child uh, escapist fantasy. Yeah. Yeah. Charlie McGuire has done a little bit on, on the true uh, Peter Pan as well. I'd be, really be interested in seeing your, your version of it, too. That would, be, that would be quite a thing. Well, that's Deadlies Dreaming, which came out at the end of October last year. Really? Yep. Okay. Okay, I'm sorry. I've I've not been. The world world has just been weird. For, yeah. <laughs> yes, the world the world is in, is weird. And deadlines the fact that you one can sleep after. Sorry, my mic was off. Deadlines dreaming is a sign that the world is truly weird because it is horrific. If I had to go for a take on Peter Pan, I loved what Ursula Vernon did with him in her short story because it has cheese in it. And who doesn't love cheese? But. I have to chime in with Jeannie and say, please stop writing such predictive things. I'm really glad your space opera is set in the future. I really love, you are my favorite hard science writer these days, which caused someone to go, what? And it's like, your your space battles were the best with it's, the Jubilee. Sorry, it's kind of hard for me to write those anymore, though. Um, age is a thing. Age catches up with all of us. And I'm now in my late rather than early 50s. Um kind of looking back it, it's hard to realize but i have a career writing sf novels that spans 20 years now and you've got to keep moving forward rather than trying to repeat the same thing over and over again endlessly the problem we've all got i think is if you write a book and it's reasonably successful the first thing everybody says is that was great write me another one just like the last only yeah. different and what they mean is they don't want the same novel all over again they want something that gives them the same feeling of novelty and discovery they experienced when they read the last one. And you don't get that if you get stuck in a rut. You've got to keep moving on and develop breaking new ground. But the ground we break as we get older changes. Um, it's harder to come up with new ideas because you run the risk of repeating yourself. Well, I like that's where you went with halting sky. I mean, and halting, state. 30, halting state, sorry. Halting state and for everybody that ever fell into an MMORPG, it starts off so simple. First of all, you were the kind of the first person present that I really dug into and liked. And then you presented, you know, knocking over a bank in World of Warcraft. It's not World of Warcraft, by the way, but using it as an example for those that have not read the books. That is a tremendous um, IP infringement. That is hacking. That is industrial sabotage. That can be many other things. And I think some of us are almost a little grateful that some of the many, when we go back to the story of the, those being led astray by demagogues, we're kind of glad that they haven't discovered MMORPGs yet. 
as a place to organize and do bad things. I so. fear that things are worse than you might suspect. Uh, there is a strain of thought out there that says that QAnon is essentially running an artificial reality game, an ARG. Um, yes. Which, and if you've met those, you'll know where that comes in. Now, there are some novels I'd like to recommend by Walter John Williams, um, who, alas, isn't writing this series anymore because it wasn't selling brilliantly. But the first book in this particular series is called um, This Is Not a Game. And it's about an ARG developer who accidentally gets caught up in one of her own productions when, um, let's just say, there's a rogue AI wandering around in it. And by the second book in it, um, which I think was titled Deep State, you may get where this is going, he accidentally prefigured the Arab Spring. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, They were horrifyingly prophetic books from only about 10 years ago, and I really, really recommend them to everybody. I wish more people had read them, because they actually feel more on the nail for where we're going than my own writing. Yeah, that happens with Walter John, I've noticed. Um, He'll write something and then really good, and then it it just won't quite click even though it's, it's brilliant. And then he'll, so then he'll just go write something else. that's brilliant that everyone likes. So, so. Yeah. Um, I'm still gritting my teeth and wishing somebody would pay him to write the third book in the, in the trilogy beginning with uh, Metropolitan. Mm. Yeah. Well, and I always hate these, these trilogies that they, that die after two books. <laughs> <laughs> I've got one of them of my own that's nearly... Well, I've got a couple of my own, actually. Um, Halting State and Rule 34. There was going to be a third book, Honest. It's just near-future thrillers set in Scotland. It helps to have some idea what the nation, what the, what the environment it's set in is going to be in the next six months when you do that. I basically <laughs> ran into what I call the Scottish political singularity in 2012. <laughs> and... Um, the future is too indeterminate at this point to write it. I was about to get down and consider going back and writing book three at the beginning of 2020 again, but then COVID-19 came along and ate my plot. Uh-huh. Um, it was going to rely on a viral pandemic with a uh-huh. long COVID-style after effect. And, you know, let's just not go there. I don't want to do any pandemic novels for the next few years. See, you um, did it again. You, you did it again. That's why we had the pandemic, because you were going to write about no, it. No, I'm you, gonna, Charlie. I've got a different theory about why we have a pandemic. You see, I've been writing the Merchant Princess series since 2001. And about eight years ago, they spawned a follow-on trilogy. Because, to be fair, I tried to destroy the universe at the end of book six the first time around with strategic bombing with nuclear weapons because I was sick and tired of it. Then my editor at Tor... Uh, the late David Hartwell came along and said, well, Charlie, can I in- in- induce you to write three more? It's worth a lot of money. Uh-huh. And, you know, the lot of money got me hooked. And then it turned into the situation where the beatings will continue t- until morale improves. Oh, dear. Um, the books were originally, this, this was for a contract signed in the end of 2012. They were due out within three months of each other in 2015. Okay. The first book eventually surfaced in 2016, followed by the second book in, I think, 2017 or early 2018. And then, well, things went off the rails when David died unexpectedly. And, you know, editor dying tends to have knock-on effects on the books he's got in production. Then I got down to work on book three again, um, because book three was the one that kept hanging fire, and my father died. 
picked myself up, went back to work on it a little later after doing another project. My mother died. Um, so I finally get into a headspace where I can face the, the last book in this. It's the last book in the Merchant Princess series and the last book in the Empire Games trilogy. It's called Invisible Sun. It was meant to come out in 2016, 2017 originally. I finally got into the headspace where I could finish it, and I finished it, and I handed it in, and this thing called COVID-19 starts getting in the news. And you can imagine what that did to the public publisher's production schedule. It is officially on track for September the 28th this year, and it is with the production department at Tor. So, you know, unless the giant asteroid hits us, mm -hmm. it's probably going to come out. Um, but it was set in 2020 in an alternate universe. Mm. Wow. I, I lost three whole days to that universe once when John gave me the first one and then all six books, three-day weekend. I did nothing else. So that was... You. Well, have you? if you've not read them yet, Empire Games, Dark State and Invisible Sun will be available as a, as a finished trilogy, about half a million words total um, by September the 28th. Well, I'll make sure that I buy it on September 28th so that I can spend the whole weekend reading again, all three of them at once. Thank you, thank you. And I should you just warn you, I was going for a prize for the maximum number of genre shifts in one series, because uh, if book one starts as portal fantasy, and um, by around book four, it slid sideways into parallel universe techno thriller, at the end of the last book, at the end of Invisible Sun, it has gone full bore space opera. That's brilliant. And like, that's... Only you could do that, I think, or very few others. I think, uh, yes, I think we're going to be waiting to get all three at once and go spend the weekend. Actually, Chaz and I can fight over them, mm -hmm. but he reads faster than I do. So, Well, I think that's one of the things that I've really, why I say, oh, Charlie wrote it, I'll just buy it. One, I do love the, how you sink really deeply into that. Like your Singularity Sky, I think that's some of the earlier stuff you wrote, right? The Singularity Sky, Iron Sunrise, Accelerando. Yeah, those were significantly earlier. Um, Accelerando actually started out as a series of novelettes that were published in Asimov's science fiction magazine. Mm -hmm. I began writing the first one in 1998 as an alternative to having a nervous breakdown of the dot-com I was working at at the time. Uh -huh. um, it was crazy intense back then, and I just wanted to bottle that feeling. The other books, I was still sort of, to some extent, learning how to write novels properly at the time. To give you an idea... You know that when you're writing a book, you don't want to waste words in the writing process. Well, Singularity Sky, as it eventually surfaced, was 120,000 words long. Um, I left 150,000 words on the cutting room floor along the way. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, that's pretty terrible. Um, Iron Sunrise, I only left 60,000 words behind, and it was 145,000 when finished. Um, these days, I try not to go for more than 5 to 10% wastage in any book. I, for yeah. for the new writers, because we have a we talk about the writing process. How do you? What do you feel is the difference? Do you just sort of write everything and then ed, you use you, now you edit more as you go, or what's your process? Okay, firstly, I'm to some extent a pantser, not a planner. Although every every book is different. The one I'm working on now, Bones and Nightmares, I do actually have an outline for. This is the first time I've written an outline for a book in about twenty novels. I've done it before, but not recently. Um, it just seemed to demand it. Uh, more often, I'll develop an outline in arrears as I go along. That is, I'll write an outline of a chapter I've just written so that later on I've got a guide to where everything happens in the book that I can refer back to when I'm redrafting. Secondly, 
I tend to write linearly from start of book to finish. Um, and every day I start by picking up where I finished the day before, where I began the day before and editing it. So by the time I finish the first draft, it has been edited once pretty thoroughly. At least this is what I aim to do as a rule. Also, I try not to tie myself down too tightly when I get beginning with a book, when I get started with a book. I have a series of high notes I want to hit along the way and usually a, a vision for the climactic scene and a few subclimaxes along the way. But I don't nail everything down so tight that I, can't, that, that I lose the novelty and spontaneity of writing. I'm trying to do this to create stuff as I go along. If I succeed in surprising myself with a plot twist, it's a good chance that I've surprised the readers as well. So, Charlie, when you worked at mm -hmm. the dot-com, were you a programmer? Uh, yeah, I was, I regret to say. Um, I was sort of hired as a contractor two weeks before they formed the limited company. I left a couple of months after it went public via reverse takeover. The company doesn't exist anymore other than as a trademark and a branding operation on point-of-sales terminals sold in the UK by MasterCard because we were a payment service provider. And, you know, it's pretty much game over. You beat the boss, roll the closing credits in that situation where you're required by MasterCard. Because the reason, I, the reason I asked is because you're, the way you just described how you write is exactly the way I write, and I'm a software engineer. Yeah, I, ha I have done that for a living for a while. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm old enough to have had a couple of abortive careers before I actually managed to make writing full-time work for me. Um, due to some spectacularly bad careers advice at school, I initially qualified as a pharmacist. Oh, um, oh. Yeah, really bad. I okay. The thing about being a pharmacist is you have to have meticulous attention to detail and be able to sleep like a log at night without worrying how many people you poisoned the day before. <laughs> oh, dear. Being a creative daydreamer is a really bad predisposition for that career track, uh, much less one with a memory like a sieve. So not only Wait. was I badly suited... Yeah? Wait a second. If you have a memory like a sieve, you have some of the most delightfully complex novels ever with so many threads. How do you keep track of it? Do you ever lose your threads as you're writing and say, oh, crap, oh, yeah. I didn't tie that up? The book I just handed it, no, um, what's it? The book before last, when I handed in Invisible Sun, the penultimate draft I sent to my agent, and she tactfully reminded me that I'd forgotten an entire plot thread for the trilogy. Oh, <laughs> oops. Thank you for making us all feel better. Yeah. Um, I use a writing tool called Scrivener that a lot of you are probably familiar with. It's basically a book writing tool, which makes it much, much easier to keep track of scenes, of ideas, of research, and of plot threads but it can't do everything for you my dirty trick is i use search and replace um ridiculously often just to search for odds and ends in the text i'm working on but even that doesn't necessarily immunize me against losing track of stuff especially when i'm trying to write complex books um i gave myself a bit of cognitive whiplash last november when i began work on bones and nightmares the third in the post laundry laundry trilogy and discovered to my shock that I had only a single viewpoint protagonist, at least so far as of 40,000 words in. Other viewpoint protagonists may get written into it later, but for now, single viewpoint. Whereas I think In His House has seven viewpoint characters. Uh, the Merchant Princes at one point had so many viewpoint characters, I had told the small nuclear war to thin the herd. Huh. Now we've had... Uh... Uh, Raymond uh, Raymond Miller's been on ours and has talked about Scrivener and its love and delight. Do you use it all the way through to 
do your own pieces into like the Moby and the publishable pieces or do you really just work on the text part and then let your publisher do all the rest? I am trad published almost exclusively. Um, in the US, I'm currently with Tor and with Tor.com, who are effectively separate publishers who same, share most of the same personnel within Macmillan. In the UK, I'm with Tor for the Tor titles in the US and with Orbit for the Tor.com titles in the US. Um, that's kind of a historic weirdness. What actually happened was I was previously published by Ace, but then the Random Penguin merger was followed by the Night of the Penguin Clubbing, as it were. Yeah. And um, Random House ate the, ble- dis- ate the disemboweled corpse of Penguin alive and downsized a number of their lists. So I sort of migrated to Tor.com. Um, the result is it can be a bit difficult to keep track of stuff. But in general... Um, I'm traditionally published and edited, copy edited and typeset in the US by my US publishers. Um, I'm effectively a US author sold into the UK market as an afterthought, which is kind of weird. Yeah, but we love you. So, you know, that's okay. Now, as for Scrivener, I just I use it for the first draft. Unfortunately, publishers workflow sort of assumes that you submit stuff in Word format and then are willing to do copy edits in PDF. And I just absolutely hate loathe and despise microsoft word but there's nothing i can really do to get away from it yeah you can't um, it's just there yeah yeah it, it's the default it's just the default so and editing in pdf is horrific so yeah well it's gotten a bit better of late where you can use an apple pencil on an ipad and just scribble red ink all over them oh that's right yeah that's a good point but it's still pretty ugly yeah i love the apple pencil by the way so you're an apple person uh Mostly, yes. I come out of Linux world going way oh, yeah. back. Yeah, I used to write a Linux column for British Newsstand magazine for years. M- MacOS is just basically the last Unix workstation environment standing. Yes. Well, Chaz and I are a mixed marriage. He's Linux, I'm Mac, you know. So actually, I've, like I said, I was a programmer, so anything Unix is, is heavenly. But anyway. <laughs> and I do IT security and say they're just as bad, both of them. They're all terrible these days. They um, are. I mean, the weird thing is how Windows 10 is sort of gradually converging on the state of them as well, with such like things like the uh, Windows subsystem for Linux, uh, making it easy to get a shell with a command line on it. I mean, who ordered that? Who expected that from Microsoft? Yeah. Everybody who ever had to troubleshoot in DOS, hello. Yeah, absolutely. So, so what advice would you give to somebody who says, yeah, I want that. I want to write science fiction. I want to write a little fantasy. And who doesn't love tentacled horror? What advice would you give to young writers? Um, several rules of thumb, but we can go back to Robert Heinlein's initial advice, which is finish what you start, send it out. When it gets rejected, submit it again and again and keep writing something new. If you don't finish stuff and send it out, you won't sell anything. Um, that's axiomatic. The next bits um, of advice, well, um, there is no point trying to write the next Game of Thrones because George is still with us and still working on them. Um, you know, you will if you try to do that, you will always be seen as derivative or as an also-ran. Look for what people aren't doing. A good clue to that is if you look for writers who are dead but still in print decades later, there, it implies that their stuff is enduringly popular. There's demand for it. And who knows? You can colonize their territory. But don't just copy one of them. 
do a mashup. I mean, Merchant Princess started off that way because I thought, hmm, Nine Princes in Amber is a really good idea. Mm. So was H. Beam Piper's Paratime. How about I do a hybridization of the common elements of those, strip it back to basics, and then reframe it? And that's how I came up with something that looks original, but actually has roots going back in the genre sometime earlier. So, yeah, you can pick up Lovecraft's work. Yeah, but don't, don't go for just Lovecraft. Mix in other stuff as well. Um, and also bear in mind modern interpretations of Lovecraft. He was not a nice person. Um, we can do better these days. I think we can. And we will. And we are. Good. Well, we, we will put links in the podcast and the interesting things Charlie's talked about on our website, which is www.writersdrinkingcoffee.com. You can find us on Facebook or Twitter. We answer email. Uh, Charlie has always been pretty good about answering. If somebody sends you an email, do you answer back? Uh, yes, I do if I get it. Can't <laughs> answer it if I don't get it. Fair enough. You've been listening to Writers Drinking Coffee, a labor of love and enthusiasm put together by the hosts. Our main web support magic is brought to you by Deirdre Schween, and our sound engineer and backup web spider is David Welsh. Our podcast sponsor is Forever Jackal Designs, enabling you all to wear cool WDC swag, which impresses your friends. And here's a shout out to the bean scene in Sunnyvale as well. Do you have a favorite coffee shop, Charlie? Um, unfortunately, they're all closed right now because we're under stage four lockdown. Um, but it would probably be Artisan Roast in Edinburgh. Artisan Roast in Edinburgh. Check it out when they reopen. And hey, thanks for listening. Thank you. Thank you.